0: I want to tell you today just how grateful I am uh, to be here, and uh, I'm not going to say a lot about that. There'll be time to say that later, but uh, I am grateful for this church. I'm grateful for your faithfulness, and uh, one of those things that as we've gotten to know you, the more we get to know you, the more we love you. So uh, just thank you, and as we uh, look at God's Word today, let's ask for His help, and uh, let's ask that Christ be glorified today as we look at Scripture And so, Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. May your glory be our supreme concern. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been tempted to walk away from Jesus and from the faith. That's a shocking question to ask, perhaps in a church, but I wonder if you've ever had that thought in your mind, is this worth it? Am I going to continue because it's hard? Some of you have been through church hurt. A lot of us actually have been through church hurt. If you've been through church hurt, you know that church can be the best thing, but it can also be the hardest thing. When you experience not just the best of church, but when church really hurts you, it can cause you to question everything, and even to think about walking away from the church. In 2004, Ray Ortland Sr. became pastor of a 2,500-member church, and he says this, a group of people in the church made it their purpose that I would not be their pastor any longer, and they succeeded in their purpose. It just about took me out. I've, uh, seen Ray talk about this in person. And uh, even though it's years later, he can't really talk about this without the tears beginning to come to his eyes. He knew what it was like to be forced out by a church. He knew the pain of investing everything he could within the church and have them turn to him and say, we're not interested. We want you gone. We want you out. And so in 2007, he left the church And he and his wife, Janie, took about a year to listen to what he said, try not to die, to pray, to rethink at a profound level. Out of that, God did an amazing work. Uh, God birthed a new church. But have you ever experienced that where you've been so hurt by a church that for a good period of time, you've just tried not to die, to hang on to what's left of your faith, to rethink things at a profound level? Maybe you've watched somebody you've trusted fall into sin. A number of years ago, I became casual friends with a fairly well-known pastor. Uh, And it was a weird thing because this guy was sort of a big deal and uh, was a big enough church, you wouldn't know his name, a big enough church that when you went there, there was security that followed him around. And uh, so after the church, he would go to his office and there'd be police officers uh, off-duty that were, it was, it's like weird, right? You're just in this other, uh, other. it's like, I, can't, I don't even understand what's going on. And he was a, a magnetic personality. When you were in the room with him, you knew that he was in the room. He lit up the room. It was just like he was larger than life. I remember attending his church and hearing him preach, and his sermons were good. He took us out for lunch uh, one day when we were visited. Again, we weren't good friends, but uh, he began to support our church planting ministry and I'll still remember the Sunday night, I got home from church and opened a website and discovered that he had been carrying on an affair. And not only had he been carrying on an affair, but he had blame shifted. He would somehow made it his wife's fault. And it was devastating. Later on, it came out that there were multiple affairs. Have you ever had somebody, I know, I'm not naive. Uh, friends, we're all vulnerable, vulnerable to sin. I'm no longer surprised at one level when I hear of somebody falling into Major sin, but it can rock your faith. When somebody that you trusted falls into sin, I just was listening to a podcast this morning, and the guy said he was beginning the process of deconstructing, and he had a pastor on staff that he really trusted, and that pastor was the only one in the church that would really understand, and he was back on track, and that pastor was found to have been molesting a lot of the youth within the church and it almost devastated him. If you've experienced that kind of disillusionment, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to struggle at that point. Or maybe you just feel pressure from the world. Maybe it's not that the church has hurt you. Maybe it's not that somebody you trusted has fallen into sin. Maybe you just feel this constant pressure from the world to abandon your faith. A friend of mine works for a company, you would know the name again, and uh, her husband is a pastor and she goes into work, and the thing at work is you know, people are like, what does your husband do? And she has to, I, I, she doesn't lie, but she feels this pressure because the minute they know she's a Christian, it leads to a whole set of question, uh, questions. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Where do you stand on this social issue? And depending how she answers, it could cost her her job. And a lot of us are in the world facing this constant pressure to, if not tone down, but uh, maybe even go further and not just tone down, but question our commitment to God. Do you ever wrestle with this? Is this worth it? Do I continue in the faith? Or do I put Christ on the shelf? If I do, do I continue to keep him on the shelf? Have you ever been tempted to walk away from Jesus and his church because of hurt or disillusionment, or because you're weary and disappointed with church life? Or because it's simply not easy to follow Jesus in a hostile world? If so, today's passage has a word that we need to hear. As Jason said, we're beginning to look at the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews was written to a group of believers who were tempted to walk away from Jesus. So let's pause right there. This temptation to walk away from Jesus is not new. Right back in the early days of the church, this letter was written to a group of people to address this very issue. There's a lot we don't know about this letter. Uh, Contrary to Jeopardy, we don't know who wrote it. I don't know if you saw in Jeopardy, the question uh, came up and the right answer that Jeopardy gave was Paul wrote it. Well, we don't know. I'm not gonna get in a fight with you about this. I don't think Paul wrote it. We don't know when it was written. Uh, It seems it was written by uh, about 70 AD before the destruction of the temple. We do know some of the reasons it was written. And over and over again in Hebrews, the author says, I don't want you to fall away. I want to give you this warning do not abandon Jesus. In chapter 10, we get a little bit of a window into the situation. Chapter 10, verse 32 says this Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, enlightened means they had trusted Christ, they had put their faith in Christ, they had experienced the gospel, they had seen Jesus and trusted him, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Friends, some of them were experiencing societal pressure uh, the pressure to return maybe to their Jewish roots. Maybe they were facing some struggles. It had been, become hard to follow Jesus. And they were tempted to abandon Jesus and go back to Judaism. They had suffered for their faith, and they'd started to waver. They were beginning to wonder if following Jesus was worth it all. And from the many warnings in this book, it seems that they were tempted to abandon their faith. Well, friends, many, maybe you can relate today. One of the goals in uh, preaching God's word is we want to be honest. We want to bring our full selves to all of God's word. And so if you're here today saying, that's me. Today, welcome. You're in the right place. If it's not you today, praise God that you're not about to abandon your faith. Some of you are shocked that I would even answer that question. Well, if that's not you, it might be at some point in the future. The reality is we are all prone to wander. Nobody is immune And so Hebrews has a message that we all need to hear. What, Hebrews asks, is the antidote to abandoning our faith. What is it that will keep us in the faith? Well, verses 1 to 4 give us a compelling answer. Jesus. What is it that will keep us from walking away from our faith? Jesus. Okay, so let's pause there. Isn't that what you expected me to say? (laughs) Have you ever been in church and you're just like, uh, you know, the the old Sunday school question of like, what's furry and has four legs and flies from tree to tree? And the kid raised his hand and said like, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I think you want me to say Jesus, right? Like um, sometimes when you're preaching, you're like, of course he's going to say Jesus. It's just what you would expect a preacher to say. But I want you to notice in verses one to four, Jesus is presented here not as a cliche, not as an easy answer to a complicated question. In verses one to four, what we have here is perhaps the most articulate Greek sentence in all the New Testament. You have some of the most profound theological truths that you will ever encounter in your life in verses one to four. Verses one to four, as I say in the Greek are just one sentence. I feel like I have been to an all you could eat buffet reading verses one to four, like it is amazing. There is enough here, you could feast on this, not just for today, but for eternity. This might be, somebody said, the most beautiful sentence in all of scripture. It is packed full of truth, we could spend weeks unpacking verses one to four. In fact, as I was preparing this week, I was hoping to do verses one to four all today and I got uh, almost to the end and I'm like, we need to come back to it next week. There's way too much here. We need to look at this. But friends, this is not just a passage to be understood. I pray today as we look at verses one to four that it will nourish your mind. I pray that it will cause you to think differently about Jesus and cause you to think theologically about the riches that we have. But these are not just truths to inform our minds. These are actually truths to capture our hearts. As we read verses 1 to 4, there should be a sense of ah amazement as we encounter the beauty of Jesus, as we see who Jesus is. What is it about Jesus that should capture our attention? Well, so many things. But let's just focus on the two main points that this passage gives us. Here's the first This is why Jesus is the antidote to walking away from the faith. This is why Jesus is so worth riveting our attention on. In verses one to the first part of uh, verse two, it says that Jesus is the climax of divine communication. That Jesus, this is the pinnacle of divine revelation, the climax, Jesus is the climax of divine revelation. I wonder if you've ever thought how God could communicate with us Kind of a silly question, isn't it? And we take it for granted that God could do this. But if you understand the challenge of, you know, if you've ever seen an anthill and you're like, how do I get a message across to these ants? You're like, how do I, you know, imagine that they're scurrying, they feel you coming and they're going all over and you're like, no, like, I'm not going to stamp on you. My intentions for you are good. There's no way to communicate to them. Or even dogs, right? Dogs are amazing. Dogs seem to pick up on our moods. But have you ever tried to talk like, hey, dog, I'm going away for a couple hours. I'll be back. Like, there's no way you can communicate. Friends, I can't even understand calculus. Now, some of you understand calculus. I don't understand calculus. How could we ever understand God? How could God ever make himself known to us? He is so far above us. Well, verse 1 reveals to us that God actually condescended to begin to reveal himself to us in ways that we could understand. If you're here today and wondering, what does God want from me? We don't have to guess. That's a very good news. God has spoken. We can depend on divine revelation so that we can understand who God is and what he expects from us. And so in verse one, we read that that's exactly what God did. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And what you have here is all of redemptive history leading up to Jesus. Long ago, from day one, God has not been silent. From the beginning of history, God has been communicating through general revelation, through looking at nature by looking at the world, but also through special revelation. We do not have to take educated guesses at who God is. God has chosen to speak to us. We have a record of God's revelation going back thousands of years. God is a good God who found a way to communicate to us in ways that we could understand, and he's done so throughout history. And not only that, but God has spoken it many times. Aren't you so grateful for that? God did not just give us a data dump. Imagine Adam and Eve you know, were created, and God's like, here's a book. You know, okay, oh yeah, you don't know how to read yet. Hold on, I'll teach you how to read. Here's a book. <laughs> you know, read this systematic theology. It has everything you need to know about me. No, what did God do? God (laughs) revealed himself little by little in ways that we could understand. And isn't that amazing? That's the way that we reveal ourselves to each other, isn't it? When we meet each other, we don't go, oh, here's, you know, like read this. This is, if you read this, you'll understand me. No, it's like, where did you grow up? Like, How did you, you know, what brings you joy? Uh, What do you like to do? God revealed himself relationally to us at many times throughout redemptive history. In many ways. I love the variety of ways that God has revealed himself. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Can you picture that? Can you picture what it would be like to walk along and have God actually talking to you? He appeared in visions and dreams. He sent angels with messages You even have these things called theophanies, which are visible appearances of God to people where somebody shows up, but afterwards it's like, that was God. God actually visited us in human form today. You have exhortations, stories, visions, dreams, mighty acts, breathtaking theophanies, and a still small voice to name a few. And God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I don't understand. You know, every once in a while I hear people who say the Old Testament is boring. Now, if you say the Old Testament is hard to understand, 100% with you. There's parts of it that are hard to understand. But once in a while I hear people say the Old Testament is boring. I'm like, have you read the Old Testament? It is anything but boring. It is like an explosion of. You read the scriptures, the variety of ways that God reveals himself, the richness, the texture, the, uh, you can't read the Old Testament and really work at it without getting this breathtaking vision of God that leads you to say, wow, friends, what an amazing gift that God has done all of this. What an amazing act of grace and love that God has revealed himself to us, that God cares enough about you that he's communicated to you and to me in ways that we could understand. That he has been so patient and gracious in revealing himself. No wonder the psalmist could say, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. But friends, all of this is simply the appetizer. All of this is like... This is just the prelude to what 's coming. I was thinking about this this morning. A friend of mine who 's a lot richer than I am. He flew to Toronto. I picked him up in our uh, Pontiac vibe, our two thousand and nine Pontiac vibe that leaks oil like crazy. Uh, the oil can spilled over, and uh, all the oil 's all over the place you know he 's putting his suitcases in the back he 's getting out paper towels and mopping everything up. Uh, he gets in the car we 're chugging along, get to our place. We go to his place. He shows up in a fully loaded Range Rover. Like, there was no oil leak, the doors open, the sideboard. Like, it was amazing. Friends, this is like the taster. This is like Old Testament revelation up to Jesus is the hors d'oeuvres. It's just getting you ready. And then comes Jesus. All of this was good. It's amazing. It's powerful. But along comes Jesus, and you get something amazing. Amazing. God has given us something way better than even the Hebrew Scriptures. He has given us Jesus, who is God's definitive and final revelation. Verse 2 says, In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God doesn't just speak in former days, He's spoken in these last days. He didn't just speak to our forefathers, He's speaking to us right now. He didn't just speak through the prophets. He's actually sent his own son to speak to us. God has spoken to us in various ways, but he's spoken to us definitively in Jesus. Do you want to, want to understand what God wants from us? Look at Jesus, the person of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the acts of Jesus, communicate God's ultimate word to his people. Friends, if you ever start to waver, look at Jesus, and not the cliched Jesus, not the Hollywood Jesus, not the Birkenstock Jesus. Look at the real Jesus revealed in scripture. Look at his willingness to come to earth and become one of us. Look at his condescension that he would give up heaven to come to earth to be one of us. That God himself would take, become human and experience everything. Look at his words. As you read the gospels, his words just reveal so much. Words that call us back to him. Words that are full of compassion for the weary and downtrodden. One of the things I love about Jesus in the Gospels is he never turns somebody away who's beaten down and discouraged. What word does Jesus have for them? He has words of compassion. He meets them where they are. Jesus, look at his word, look at his heart. Look at his sternness. Jesus was stern. Make no mistake, for those who peddled false religion, to those who directed people's attention away from God, To those who turned away children from him, Jesus had harsh words. Look at his words. Look at his tender heart of compassion. Look at his love, a love that serves. Love that would, when everybody's arguing about how they're better than everybody else, love that takes up a towel and washes dirty feet, love that goes to the cross to save us, love that bears our sins, even though he was sinless. Look at his triumph over death, his victory, that is a victory of all those who trust him. Friends, there's nobody more compelling than Jesus. Jesus is God's greatest revelation to us. He is the climax of revelation, so rivet your attention on him. Whatever everything else in your life becomes confused, ask God to give you a picture of Jesus. Behold him, look at him, marvel at him. He is amazing. He is compelling. He is the antidote to us walking away because there's nobody more compelling than Jesus. But that's not all the passage says. And this is where I'm not gonna do justice to this. Day. We're gonna to have to come back to this next week. Jesus is the pinnacle of divine revelation. Like it gets no better than Jesus. By the way, the, this is not in competition to scripture. Scripture, how do we know what Jesus is like, right? Through what? Scripture, it's, it's how we know what Jesus is like. We look to scripture with an eye to see Jesus. In all of scripture, we're looking to Jesus. In, in all of scripture, we're saying, show me Jesus. But here's what else the author says. Here's the other thing. We're just going to scratch the surface on this. Jesus, not only is the pinnacle of divine revelation, but Jesus is above all in terms of who he is, what he's done, and where he ranks. Verses two to four, there's so much here. Who is Jesus? Uh, Who is he? In this last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through uh, whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What are his acts? Well, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What's his current status? Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So who is Jesus? He is heir of all things. Uh, Everything that exists is his. He gets it all. By the way, we're co-heirs with Jesus. That's an amazing reality that everything that's Jesus, if we're in Jesus, it's ours as well because we are in Jesus. But Jesus is heir of all things. It's all his. He has everything. He is the one through whom God created the world. Everything that you see, it's all Jesus' handiwork. Everything that we witness with our eyes, the beauty, it's all his. He made it all. He is the radiance of God's glory the exact imprint of his nature. What has he done? Well, at this moment, he's holding the entire universe together by the word of his power. Hebrews reminds us, God didn't just create the world through Jesus and then turn away. There's the laws of nature. Go for it. Right now, the chair that you're sitting on, Jesus is holding it together. The atoms that are spinning, they're spinning because Jesus is spinning them. The laws of this world, the sun that rose. We know the sun didn't rise, but we say the sun rose. Well, why does the earth orbit the sun? Because Jesus spins us around the sun. The two trillion galaxies in this world that exist in all their complexity, right now, Jesus, by the, simply speaking, holds all of it together. And this same God who's holding everything together, this same Jesus is the one who became one of us and made purification for our sins. Isn't that amazing? The same God who's holding two trillion galaxies together, the same God, Jesus Christ, who's God himself in Mary's lap, as he's in Mary's lap as a baby, at that very moment is holding everything together. Same Jesus that went to the cross, bearing our sins, gladly gave his life for ours. Friends, I can't comprehend this. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Look at Jesus. Don't just let this inform your mind. Let this amaze your heart. And what's his current status? Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right now, he's reigning over history. He is not worried about the world he is not wondering, whatever am I going to do about Israel and Palestine? What am I going to do about the U.S. election next year? What about inflation? He is reigning at God's right hand. Angels are bowing before him. He is king and king and Lord of lords. As somebody said, Jesus is on his throne. Everything is going his way, and he loves us. Jesus is on his throne. Everything is going his way, and he loves us. That is Jesus. Friends, there is nobody like him. He is incomparable. We cannot, we dare not minimize him, package him, ignore him, use him, exploit him, manipulate him, or stereotype him, but we can worship him. We can rivet our attention on him, and we can build our entire church, and we can build our entire lives around him. Today, I figure it's a good point to say, I want you to hold me to this. I want my whole ministry to be about this one thing, riveting our attention on Jesus. I want every week for you to say to me, what's the sermon about this Sunday? And I want to say every week, Jesus. Now, I'm not going to preach Jesus the same way, just as scripture doesn't uh, approach Jesus the same way every week. Jesus in all his glory. uh, Jesus in his never-ending, wondrous, amazing beauty. But I never want to get tired of him. I want to look at him with you week after week after week. I want Jesus, all of Jesus for all of life. I want to keep looking at him with you until we become more like him. Friends, right now, angels are bowing before him and worshiping him, we get to join him in doing that as well. It's what we need most. I need it and you need it. It's what we're about as a church, beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus, who is the source of all joy and life. But I want to speak to especially those who are in danger of wandering from Jesus today. I want you to remind you, church will let you down. Now, don't get me wrong. Church is important. I am so pro-church. Um, today, we live in an age where it's so easy to deconstruct everything, to criticize the church, to find fault in the church. Churches bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church matters to him. What we see here, what I'm looking at right now is a thing of beauty. As I look out at you, you are beautiful. You know why you're beautiful? You are the bride of Christ. Uh, I love weddings. I love You know, one of my favorite moments is uh, when everybody's uh, turning around and looking at the bride coming down the aisle. One of my favorite moments is to look at the bridegroom and uh, everyone's looking at the bride. I'm looking at the the groom at the front and watching his face and every time the doors open and the bride comes down, you see his face and his face is filled with emotions and love. Friends, how does Jesus see this church? He loves her. Jesus, you are the bride of Christ. He loves this church. But I want to be honest, church will let you down. Look to the head of the church who will never let you down. The bride, in this case, the bride of Christ is not as good as the groom. Usually it's the opposite. (laughs) Look to the groom. Focus your attention on him. Friends, people will let you down. I want to go on record right now today to say, I guarantee you, I will let you down. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife. She's over there. Um, You'll discover pretty quickly, I'm going to disappoint you in so many ways. Uh, I am, and we all will, won't we? Keep loving people. Never get cynical about people. But friends, never put your hope in people. Put your trust in the only person who's ever lived who will never let you down. Look to him. And then the world will try to draw you away from Jesus. And so keep looking to the one who endured opposition, who triumphed over evil, who's seated at a place of authority over everyone and everything. Look beyond this world to the one who rules over the world and all things. Friends, come to Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus today, his arms are open wide. He invites you to come with empty hands of faith. Come to him. He will receive you. In all of history he's never turned anyone away who's come to him. Come to him. If you've come to him already, stay with Jesus. Where else would we go? Uh, honestly, once you get this picture of Jesus, where else would we go? And worship Jesus. Satisfy your soul with Jesus because there's nobody better than him. The church will let you down People will let you down. This world will try to pull you away. What's the antidote to all of that? The antidote to abandoning our faith is riveting our attention on Jesus because there's nobody better than him. And so, Father, I pray that our church would be all about Jesus. I pray even now that you would fix our eyes on him. Uh, Father, not as an abstract thought, not as a historical person who lived long ago, but as the Jesus who is alive, the Jesus who is present, the Jesus who is interceding for us right now. Father, fix our eyes on the one who was so full of love that he came to this world to become one of us. He went to the cross bearing our sins. He took all of them, all the things we're ashamed of, our our sin, our shame. He bore them to the cross, paid for them all. And Lord, fill our minds with the beauty of who he is, how he reveals your heart. Lord, how would we know that you were so full of love unless we saw Jesus, unless we saw the way that he interacted with struggling people, uh, the way that he drew children to him and said, don't you dare turn them away. Father, draws to him. Make him beautiful to us. I pray that today in all the disappointment of uh, everything else that's going on, that we would turn our eyes to the one who will never let us down. Lord, rivet our attention on him, not just for today, but as long as we live and into eternity. Fix our eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.